Okay, happy spring, everybody. <laughs> you enjoying that weather? Hey, my name's Tim. I serve as a lead pastor. Let's welcome all our campuses. Joining us on the big screen. Glad you're with us, guys. Awesome to have you. Hey, we got a lot to celebrate. Lot to celebrate. Glad you're here. And let's just do this, you know, for the sake of like just the overwhelm. Let's all take a deep breath on three. Ready? One, two, three. <sighs> Release. You're welcome. Glad you're here for our series called Breathing Room. It's really all about clearing the clutter from kind of our overloaded, you know, lives of hurrying so that we have some space to breathe. And last week, what we just admitted is this. Sometimes in our attempt to like get the most out of life, we actually lose control of our life, right? We start running around, kind of overscheduling our calendars with all sorts of events and obligations. And if you're like me, you start revving up the RPMs to kind of hurry up the pace. If you're not careful, you catch a case of hurry sickness. I told you about that last week and how that affected me in the fall. But you just start moving through life so fast, like you're doing all this stuff, but not really slow enough to enjoy any of it because there's no breathing room. And I talked to so many of you who are like, Tim, that message was just for me. Like that had my name on it. Like the new year has barely begun and I'm overwhelmed. Like if I don't slow down, I feel like I'm going to miss something. Have you ever had that like nagging sense that somehow like in all the hurry and busyness of your overcrowded life, maybe you're missing like what's most important. Like maybe last year you started a successful business, but you never got around to investing in your marriage. Or you helped your kids get into, you know, their, their dream school or dream college or whatever, but you never actually taught them the way of Jesus. Or like, you know, last year, like, Tim, I, I watched all eight seasons of Game of Thrones. Okay, I just, you know, big accomplishment, you know, check. Never actually learned to read the Bible or love prayer or time with God. You know, maybe you made a lot of money, but you never grew rich in the things that matter most which aren't things at all, of course, right? They're relationships. It's receiving love from your Father in heaven, letting the love of the Father then overflow in your life to your family, your friends. And so we said, hey, if it's 2020 and like you want to experience more like clarity, more of God's presence, more closeness to Christ, you have to find a sustainable pace, actually a relational rhythm to get there. And so today I want to talk about something I think touches all of us because um, I think one of the biggest challenges to making breathing room in busy lives is that you and I live in a noisy modern world of digital distraction. How many of you got a device in your pocket right now? <laughs> it's probably buzzed in the last half hour. Uh, you can put on some played mode for just a minute, okay? What I've noticed is my device starts ringing and pinging and then I start, you know, swiping and scrolling and it kind of fragments our minds. And it impacts our soul. Did you know this? You're actually living at an unprecedented moment in human history. Like, like literally at this moment of technological acceleration. In fact, most economists agree when history is written, when the books are open, they will define 2007 as the hinge point in our generation. Does anybody know what launched in 2007? Liquid Church, actually. That's uh, <laughs> the world changed, okay? <laughs> But it's the same year, 2007 is the year the iPhone first came out. Steve Jobs released it into the wild. And then literally it was three months later that this website called Facebook opened to anybody with an email address. Then this microblogging, remember when there were you know, blogs, an app called Twitter began. 
And that was the year of the cloud. It was the year that the App Store opened. Almost all historians agree around the year 2007 will now mark the official start of the digital age. And you can remember it, right? We lived through this. Our world has been radically reshaped in just a few short years. I mean, raise your hand if you remember a world without Wi-Fi, right? Like you had dial-up modem or whatever it was, right? Now the first thing is like, what's the access code here? You know what? You can't imagine life without your device, without this digital appendage attached to you. So now watch this. It's a blessing, right? We have more information than ever. Like, what would my world be without maps? I got it. But we're also more distracted than ever. For a lot of us, our digital addiction actually fragments our focus and it erodes our capacity to concentrate and think deeply. Case in point, I'm reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I want to give him credit for content and recommend his book to you. I've been giving it out to all sorts of folks. It's rocking my world. Um, he includes a fascinating statistic. Does anybody want to guess how many times a day the average smartphone user touches their device? How many times do you actually touch it? 2,617 times a day. That's his average between texting and emailing and scrolling through social and, oh, a TikTok video. Uh, listening to Spotify, posting photos, right, surfing the web, and of course, slaying Candy Crush, right? The average adult touches their phone over 2,600 times a day. Now, hold your breath. If you're a millennial, it's double. Double it. Over 5,200 touches a day involuntarily. Insta liking, commenting, texting, going down the rabbit hole of clickbait, and most people are oblivious. Like, we have no idea how much time we're losing into the black hole of our phones every day, and worse, the effect it's having on our brains. Did you know this? Like, this, this little digital device in your hand is intentionally designed for distraction and addiction, because that's where the money is. Economists say we're now living in the attention economy which is all about keeping your eyeballs glued to a screen and coming back for as long as possible. That's where the money is. I read this fascinating interview with Sean Parker. You guys know who he is? First president uh, of Facebook. If you remember in the movie, he was played by uh, Justin Timberlake. And Sean Parker now calls himself a conscientious objector to social media. And listen to what he said in the interview. Again, I couldn't believe he went on record and said this. He said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time in conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever, and that's going to get you to contribute more content, so more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing, now just listen to this, the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Whoa. Like, appreciate the honesty? How disturbing is this? <laughs> Understand this thing in your pocket is designed to exploit your brain's ability to be easily distracted. So you won't be surprised to learn that the average adult attention span has been dropping every year, okay? In the year 2000, so this is before like Wi-Fi and iPhones, the average attention span was 12 seconds. 
It's not like we had a lot to work with, okay? <laughs> Anyone want to guess what it is right now in 2020? Two decades later, it's now eight seconds. It's the average attention span. Now, to put things in perspective, a goldfish is nine seconds. <laughs> like, guys, <laughs> we're losing to goldfish. <laughs> Right? Sign of the apocalypse. And guys, it's only getting worse. You feel it. Because that device in your pocket, which, by the way, it's not a phone, right? It's a microcomputer. It's a highly complex entertainment system. It's designed to hijack your attention and watch with it your money. Do some reading on this. It's actually fascinating. Stories are leaking out of Silicon Valley of technology executives who are paying big bucks to send their kids to private schools that are device-free. They're like, we, we just understand what does the brain. We don't want that in our kids, right? Now, Comer says that sort of illustrates what, um, you guys know Biggie Smalls, the rapper Biggie Smalls? He used to tell fellow drug, le- drug dealers, never get high on your own supply. Yes, I just quoted Biggie Smalls in a sermon. That's <laughs> Sermon goals. Okay. All right. <laughs> if you don't know who he is, you can go, no, don't Google it. Actually, this. What, like, what's the effect of all this digital distraction? And the answer is it's catastrophic to your soul. Because besides eroding your ability to concentrate, like, good luck sitting still and actually praying. Or, like, reading scripture and meditating on God's word. It, your willpower has no chance against a never-ending scroll and double tap. In fact, I'd argue that our digital world has given birth to a brand new mammal, a species called Homo distracticus. Uh, a species of ever shorter attention span known for compulsively checking his or her device. Now, if you think you're the exception to the rule, I want you to prove it right now. I'm daring you, double dog dare you right now. Turn your phone off. I mean, actually power it down for the rest of the service. Let's see if you can survive. The re- I, I, some of you are like, taken, okay. Rest of Sunday, power it down, leave it off through lunch. Some of you are like, wait, what? Leave it off for the rest of the weekend. Seriously, I dare you to start a digital detox right now in church and see if you can resist the urge to pick up your phone and check it before lunch. Psychologists say that our relationships to our phones now have a classification, and that classification is compulsive behavior. You, you just you have to, if not full-blown addiction. We, we just have to check that next text, open the email, scroll through one more post. Guys, you understand like what all this distraction and digital noise and addiction is doing to our souls? For a follower of Jesus Christ, it's catastrophic. It is robbing us of the ability to be present. Like present to God. Present to each other. Like present to what is all good and beautiful and true in our world. And for the serious Christian, this is catastrophic because, listen to me, the noise of this world will make you deaf to the voice of God. I mean, how do you have any kind of deep, rich, spiritual life with Jesus if you can't pay attention longer than a goldfish, right? Like, like, how, like how do you pray? How do you open God's word, his text message to you, <laughs> and you read it and, and listen for the Holy Spirit when the dopamine dispenser is sitting right here? You get that quick bath for your brain of dopamine that feels so good, but leaves you nowhere. So here's a question. Is there a spiritual practice from Jesus that can help you and me create some breathing room in our lives? Like, is there an ancient 
spiritual, dare I say, discipline or practice that could help us step away from our screens, actually settle our soul down, and thrive right here in the middle of noisy New Jersey, all the chaos of it? And of course, you know the answer is absolutely yes. In this series, we're looking at three spiritual habits of Jesus that'll teach us to actually slow down spiritually and create more breathing room for God. And so today, I want to focus on the most radical one of all. It's a spiritual practice called not R&R, but S&S, silence and solitude. Everyone say silence. silence. Now say it real quietly. Silence. Shh, quiet. Now whisper solitude. Solitude. It's a miracle. Everyone's phone is off. Do you hear it? It's quiet. Guys, silence and solitude was the number one keystone habit of Jesus that connected him deeply to his father. And I believe was a secret source of power for his life and ministry. Now, I want you to think about this. If Jesus needed silence and solitude every day of his life, how much more do you need it? <laughs> how much more do I need it? In our 24-7 world of digital distraction, I would just argue, I think silence and solitude is vital to your soul's survival here in 2020 and going forward. So let's learn from Rabbi Jesus. Um, we call him our teacher. He's modeling for us a lifestyle, a way of life to stay deeply connected to the Father. So if you want to open your Bible, if you have an analog one, that's awesome. I know some of you are like, I just turned off my phone, bro. <laughs> so we're not going to judge you. Like, okay, it's like judgment-free zone. If you have your Bible, I get it. Some people are taking notes on the mobile app. Totally cool. But I want to read this to you from Matthew chapter 3. Uh, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, as you know, he got baptized, and it says, when he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I what? Love. With him I am what? Well pleased. I mean, first off, can you imagine hearing the voice of your father in heaven? It's a voice of blessing over your life. I, I love you. You're my daughter. You're my daughter, and you are a source of pleasure. You bring me pleasure. You're a delight. For Jesus, this was more than a spiritual high. Guys, this was the launching pad from which he lived his life in a toxic world. It is how he daily bathed in the love and pleasure of his heavenly Abba or Daddy. But I want you to watch this because in the next, very next line it says this. This is where is this weird turn. It says, Jesus then was led by the Spirit where? Into the desert to be tempted by who? The, the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. Now, isn't that weird? Like, right after his baptism, the Holy Spirit says, okay, check. We filled you up. Now, watch this. Straight into the desert, all alone to be attacked by Satan. Like, what? Let me tell you what this means. The word desert here doesn't necessarily just mean heat and sand. It's a Greek word. The word is eremos. Can you say this word with me? Eremos. It can be translated desert or deserted place or lonely place, or my favorite, the quiet place. And there are dozens of stories in all the Gospels about Jesus' relationship to the Aramas, but this is the first desert story in the New Testament. I want you to see it, because it's a starting point for his mission and ministry. Because have you ever thought like I did, like that is just a weird line, like the Holy Spirit led him into the Aramas to be tempted by the devil. Like, what's up with that, right? Like, like, we all know, like, at some point, we get it. Like, we've seen Star Wars, good versus evil in the desert. You know, Ray has to fight Kylo Ren, you know, kind of moment. It's the climax of every good versus evil story. But why in the desert? Why the Aramas? Why alone? And why after 40 days of fasting 
when Jesus is weak and hungry? And to be honest, I always thought, well, the answer is because that's how the devil operates. That's, that's his MO, right? Like he comes to us when we're weak at the very end of a long day when we're hangry, right? At our worst. That's not what Matthew is saying. See, the Eremos is not the place of weakness. It is the place of secret strength for the Christian. It's the quiet place that Jesus downloaded divine strength from his father to resist and actually overcome the devil. So the Holy Spirit leads him in the desert because it's in the Aramas where Jesus is all alone, his soul stripped bare after a month and a half of prayer and fasting that he rose and with the strength to deliver a throat punch to the devil and walk out victorious in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the gospel begins. Guys, that's why over and over in the Gospels, you're just going to see Jesus returning time and again to the Aramos, the desert. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, it's like his first day on the job as the Messiah. And like it's a marathon day. You ever have like a busy Monday? If you read Matthew or Mark 1, Jesus is teaching in the temple. So he's like this. He's preaching. He's talking about God's word. And, and then, he's, then, he, then after lunch, he goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then he stays up late because now more people are coming for healing. He like casting out demons. You think your Monday's busy? Okay. Jesus is beyond exhausted. And so what do you think he does the next day? And so therefore he slept in late. And then look at this. That's what I would do. And we read very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a what? A solitary place where he prayed. I mean, you'd think, gosh, man, cut the guy a break. Jesus, sleep into 11. Go, go out to brunch with the disciples. A little avocado toast and, and Netflix and a nap, all right? You've earned it. No, no, Jesus is up early, out the door where? To the Aramos, to the, si the quiet place, to be with his father. I want you to think about this. Jesus spends 40 days in the quiet place. He comes back for one day of work, and he goes straight back to the quiet place to pray. Meaning the Aramos was not this one-time deal. This was part of Jesus' spiritual routine. He had a rhythm. He routinely made space for silence and solitude. And that's the inner core from which he drew his strength. But the story isn't over. You guys know Monday's never over. It says Simon and his companions. This, I just love this. This is so real because, like, life happens. Simon and his companions went to look for him. He's having a quiet time. <laughs> and when they found him, they exclaimed what? Everyone's looking for you. Right? Translation, let me just give you the TPL version, okay? Where you been, Jesus? You killed it yesterday, bro. Word is out. Like, like, like New York Times wants an interview. Twitter's blowing up. Hashtag Messiah. Okay, like this is... <laughs> TMZ is crouching outside of Peter's house. Like, Jesus, you broke the internet. You better get back with the people now. What does Jesus reply? Look at this. Jesus replied, let us go where? Somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Translation, no thanks. Actually, the noise in the crowd are going that way, which means I'm going this way. You know what struck me this week, just like reading this text? The laser, like clarity Jesus had about his calling. Like his friends are pressuring him. They want to hijack his schedule. And he says, no, he's like, no, no, no. He is grounded. He is centered. He is bulletproof to the pressure of his friends. 
Why? Because he is laser-focused on his God-given purpose. Guys, Jesus knew exactly what to say yes to, and more importantly, what to say no to, which is key if you're going to create breathing room for God in your life. Guys, that's the power of the Aramas, of having a quiet place where you draw on the love of your Father, where you actually quiet your soul, and watch this, you receive divine direction for your daily assignments. We haven't even gotten to Luke's gospel yet, by the way. Like in Luke, Jesus went to the Aramas, the quiet place, no less than nine times. One more story, and then I'll stop. This one from Luke 5, it says this. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses, so things are blowing up. But Jesus, let's read it together, church. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You want to guess what the Greek word is for lonely place? What? Eremos. It says Jesus withdrew often. In other words, it was a daily habit, a spiritual routine. He frequently stepped away and made it a point to prioritize silence and solitude for a very simple reason. Because Jesus understood that time alone with his father was more important than anything in his life. Sleep, food, fame, followers, even ministry. Like if you read the Gospels, you'll see this pattern where it's like the busier and more popular Jesus becomes, the more he withdraws to the Aramos to be alone with God and pray. How is it for you? With me, it's the exact opposite. Like, I'll just be honest. Like when my calendar gets crazy, my quiet time with God is often the first thing to go rather than my first go-to. You know why? Because I, got the, I wake up and I look at my digital dopamine dispenser and once I start looking at that, here's the thought I've never had. I should spend some time right now just meditating in Scripture. I just never think that. It just stirs up my soul. All of a sudden, the, it goes hurly-burly, like let's start the roller coaster. We, we rarely have the instinct to say, let, my, let me just pull away for a quiet place to listen to God. Let him settle me at the deep place of my heart. Now, I get it. I'm not you. I mean, we all have unique situations. Like maybe you're a full-time mom with... Littles at home and Star Wars Legos all over the floor. <laughs> you're like, quiet place, man. I got to lock myself in the bathroom to do that. I get it. Or maybe you're like, Tim, I work a high-stress job. I start super early. I get up at 4.30 a.m. I got a killer commute. I, I, I don't have time. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like an extrovert with, you know, ADHD. And it's like, you know, you're like, this is, oh, man, being quiet and still very squirrel. Very, <laughs> right? Like, that's hard for me. Me too. <laughs> But let's just stop and think about this. Think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, needed time every day in the quiet place. You think you don't? See, down through the centuries, this spiritual habit of Jesus has come to be called silence and solitude. And it's the place where God speaks to your soul at the deepest places. It's where you actually begin the day where you Gather yourself to God, the good, the bad, the ugly. And sometimes it just surfaces all your anxiety and compulsions and fears and addictions. And you open them up and you surrender them to Christ. And you experience the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit strengthens you to go do battle with the evil one. You know, tomorrow, we're starting this 21-day fast. If you're new to our church, we start with a three weeks of prayer and fasting every year, just as a way to kind of recenter ourselves in Christ. And I think it sets the spiritual tone for the whole year. Amen? 
I really do. Like the fruit we're seeing right now in January, obviously, like the incredible generosity, all this stuff. Guys, those are the seeds of fasting planted January 2019. But I want to talk to you because I was like, as we start this fast for the next three weeks, I want to teach you how to do something powerful. I want to teach you how to do a digital detox and create a quiet place every morning to draw strength like Jesus. I've taught you guys for the last three years very systematically how to do a Daniel fast, right? You cut the carbs, you cut the sweets, the caffeine, the alcohol, you eat clean for three weeks, right? You eat fruits and vegetables, you drink water, and it's a detox for your body. And if you're doing that, by the way, let me just encourage you. This week is tricky. Seven days, it's going to be hard. Cravings will subside. And watch this, you're going to start sleeping better. You're going to have more energy, I guarantee you. And the mental fog is going to go away. But watch this. The Daniel detox is a reset for your body. A digital detox is a reset for your brain. And for some of you, this may be even more life-changing than a Daniel fast. For anybody who, who says, oh, Tim, that distracted device, I relate to the frazzled side effects of my screen. Join me on a digital detox for the next three weeks, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. If you're taking notes, the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is later today, or maybe you've done already, turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. That is, you actually delete all the apps that you know are a time suck. In other words, goodbye social media, goodbye email. I did this two days after Christmas. It's life-changing. Literally over break, I took social media, Instagram, Facebook off my dumb phone. Now, I still do, I, I allow myself to look at it once a day, typically after my work, otherwise it just eats up my time and watch with it my joy. But I find I'm no longer compulsively scrolling during, you know, boring meetings or like I'm, I'm waiting in line, you know, or like I'm sitting on the bathroom, you know, and I'm posting. <laughs> oh, you don't do this. Okay. <laughs> Guys, my, my screen time has plummeted. It was over four hours at Christmas. It's down to 47 minutes right now a day. This is vital. If you want a distraction-free life, let me encourage you, turn off all the notifications, okay? Ding, Meghan Markle's leaving the royal family. <laughs> Ding, you know, <laughs> Justin Bieber's Lyme disease. <laughs> Guys, this is news. This is urgent. I know some of you are like, like well, what if I, someone has news or it's truly urgent? It's a phone. Let them call you, okay? So here's my question. What functions could you remove for three weeks and survive? so that your phone is used for utility, not entertainment. It's gonna look different for all of us. Maybe it's Instagram, Facebook, maybe it's YouTube or TikTok or sports app. It's gonna be different for all of us. And then the second step is put your phone to bed at night. Parents, you put your kids to sleep, right? In 2020, Colleen and I are collecting our family phones and we're actually putting them to bed at 8.30 every night. So we're saying, all right, everybody, we're bringing them downstairs, including me, and we're sticking them in a charger in the kitchen. Now, we started it this week because the worst practice is never keep your phone on your nightstand. It is too tempting. You will stay up late frying your brain with blue screen, and then the first thing you wake up in the morning, ready to go. What do I do? Check your phone. What percent of adults sleep with the phone next to them? 75%. 90% of them check it first thing in the morning. Guys, I'm serious. This is a spiritual issue. Do not allow your device to set your emotional equilibrium for the day. 
that newsfeed, if you just start scrolling, it will turn your mind toxic. That's how you'll start looking at the world. When you start scrolling first, you overload your soul immediately with fear and envy and anger and outrage. It poisons the whole tone of your day. Did you hear about Iran? Oh my, did you hear what he said about Trump? Did you hear what Trump said about him? Oh, it's poison, okay? Listen, instead, for 21 days, digital detox, start your day in the presence of God. Go to your Eremos, the quiet place. Open your Bible. Let your phone sleep until after your quiet time. Read a chapter. Let God's text message establish your spiritual view of the world. Give you the emotional equilibrium. So that instead of starting the day, all anxiety and, you know, all the... Guys, it's a game changer. I'm just telling you, if you do a digital detox and you set boundaries for the next three weeks, and you pair that with quiet time, developing an Eremos, a desert of your own, your soul will, it'll be like a reboot for your soul. Your soul will thank you. So with our time remaining, let me give you, because I just gave you kind of the three steps to do a digital detox. And now I'm going to give you the steps to have an effective quiet time like Jesus. And this may be new. Some of you may be like, oh, I've heard about quiet time. I did that when I was growing up. That was important in our church. Or maybe you're like, I've never done that. Like, what, what do you even do? I get it. Here's the first thing you do. One, find your Eremos. Find a specific place that is quiet. It could be in your house. It could be outside. It could be a comfy chair in your apartment. It might be, I don't know, all you need is a chair. It could be a sunny nook in your kitchen. It could be down in your basement. You may, if you have a little kids, you may need to lock yourself in the bathroom. just is. Set a time, designate a place. Typically, first thing in the morning is best, okay? Because it sets the tone for the day. Jesus got up when it was very early and went out. But listen to me. If you're not a morning person, no guilt, okay? Good news. Looking in the scriptures this week, I was just struck how many times every day Jesus went to the Aramos. It wasn't like, <gasps> and now go. <laughs> Sometimes he went to the Aramos at lunchtime when his schedule got too crowded and hectic. He's like, let's get in the boat and go out and pray. Other times, if you're a night owl, he'll stay up late and actually go up on a mountain to pray. So if you're quiet places like outdoors over a morning walk with your dog, that's awesome. You do you. If you're a night owl, it doesn't matter. Customize it to your schedule. But here's the point. Be intentional. Find a place, set a time, and be there. All you need is, I think, minimally 15 minutes. Myself, I'm just slower than you. It takes me 30, 45 minutes. But Jesus makes this invitation to his disciples in Mark 6. He says, come with me by yourselves to a what? Quiet place. Get some rest. That's how we start the day. The second thing is settle your soul. Now, this is the hardest. I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. He says this. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. So this isn't like, me a fancy prayer. Just listen to this. This is important. Next part of the verse. This is so interesting. He says, just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. Don't be a poser. And as you're quiet and still, watch this. The focus shifts from you to God, and you will begin to sense what? His grace. Now, I know this sounds simple, but it's not. Because <laughs> if you saw me in the morning in my house, I got a chair in my house, okay, that I'll bring. I bring my Bible. I got a cup of coffee. And before I start my day, I pull away. No noise. I don't have headphones on. No screens. 
But if you saw me in that moment, I know what you'd think. You'd see me, and I have my Bible up, my eyes are closed, and you'd be like, how spiritual. You know, that's good. Pastor Tim starts his day with a quiet time. He's a holy man. That's what he does. <laughs> the truth is, if you knew what was going on in my head, you'd quit this church right now. I'll just tell you, man. I, like, I'm serious. Like, if you, if, if you had, like, a camera in my house, first off, that'd be weird. <laughs> but if you had a camera in my house and knew what was going on in my mind in that moment, you were like, this guy is not qualified to teach us anything. Because I have all this internal noise and mental chatter happening that won't shut up. Like, I, am, I close my eyes, and I'm, like, so distracted. I'm like, well, Lord, I pray, you know, for... The Yankees, you know, and just, <laughs> I wonder what the score was of last night's game. Game, oh, Chase has a game today, volleyball at four o'clock. Call said, don't be late. Oh, yeah, late rhymes with date. What's today's date? 1 11 2020. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> what? Uh, that's where I'm at. And does anyone relate to this? Just me? Okay, guys, here's a, you know why? You're normal. <laughs> it's because you're a human being. <laughs> Settling your soul's a battle. When I close my eyes to pray, my thoughts are like wild monkeys swinging from tree to tree, describing bananas. Again, anyone relate? So that's just, uh, just normalize it. You start praying, but your mind all of a sudden, you're like, you know, I, all of a sudden you're like, oh, and I pray for, uh, oh yeah, I pray for my friend Jim, you know? And we had that awkward conversation yesterday. Lord, fix Jim, you know? <laughs> or whatever it is. Or, you know, or suddenly you're praying. You ever like praying and all of a sudden like, you have these random like, you know, like a lustful thought, and you're like, what am I, a pervert? I'm like in God's presence. <laughs> or, you just, or you start dreaming of revenge, you know? Forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who sin against us. You know who sinned against me? Helva. <laughs> Hold her accountable, Jesus. <laughs> Guys, watch, you're not wicked. It's your soul trying to settle down. And all the anger and the anxiety comes to the surface first because you've had nonstop stimulation. And the soul needs time to settle, the clutter needs time to clear. Let me show you something to illustrate this. Take this jar of river water, I just scooped this up behind my house, you're welcome. <laughs> Say this is your soul, okay? I got this river water from the stream behind my house. Now notice it's pretty clear right now, right? But notice that's because you can't see the sediment at the bottom, all right? It's totally settled. But now watch this, okay? I'm gonna stir it up here. What do you see now? right? Not so clear. That's your soul when you wake up. It is a hurricane of uh, emotion and stresses and clarity. And when you wake up, everything's swirling and foggy and it's unclear. Now, I want you to watch something. I'm going to set this down here and just give it a few minutes while we talk. Let me tell you what the Aramos does. That 15 minutes of quiet, it gives your soul time to settle. And eventually, if you lean in, there will come clarity because all of the, the anger and sin and selfishness have come to the surface. But if you stay in that quiet place with Jesus long enough, watch this, he will settle them down, he will wash them clean, he will speak clearly to you. Because just as the law of gravity says that settlement will eventually settle and the water is going to get clear, you know this, there's a spiritual law of gravity at work. That the swirling chaos of your mind and your soul will clear if you sit still long enough and lean into Jesus and hear his voice in the quiet. Next week is uh, Martin Luther King weekend. We celebrate a holiday. 
And I heard a fascinating story about Dr. King in the civil rights movement. It was, uh, I think, 1956. It was just a month after King was elected to the Montgomery Improvement Association. So that was started in, in response to the arrest of Rosa Parks. And Dr. King was at a breaking point. I was reading this in his biography. He thought the boycott would last a few weeks, but it became clear the racist government officials weren't going to brudge, right? So King started feeling all this pressure, and he started getting death threats, actually saying, we're going to kill your wife, your children. And then King himself was harassed. He was arrested and thrown in jail. What's his crime? He went 30 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. So they're just harassing him, and they arrested him and jailed him. And then he comes home after being in jail to a new round of anonymous death threats to him and his family. Well, I think you can relate to this. I mean, that night, obviously, he couldn't sleep for fear for his own life, fear for his family. So he's filled with all this anxiety. And his biographer says, King got up, and he went down to the kitchen and made himself a cup of coffee and sat down at the kitchen table to deal with his anxiety. He literally didn't know if he could go on. Years later, in a sermon... Here's what Dr. King said about that moment of quiet. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night, and I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And at that very moment, I heard a voice an inner voice that seemed to say to me, Martin Luther, stand up. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And King says in that moment of quiet, he, he had this clarity. It was like liquid courage being poured into his heart because he had this moment in the quiet place. And he gathered the strength to lead the civil rights movement from that day on, and the rest is history. Now, the person telling the story was making a point about the power of quiet, how important it is to be like present in the silence, confess our fears, anxieties to God, lean into Jesus in order to discern what you're called to do. But here's a fascinating question. I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if Dr. King had an iPhone. Like seriously, thought experiment. What if that moment of quiet never came? What if King never heard that inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, press on? What if he never heard the voice of Jesus saying, I will be with you to the end of the age? What if instead of quieting down and embracing the awkwardness of the silence, Dr. King reached for his phone and read another text message that was a death threat? Or he clicked the link somebody sent him to the fake news story about him? Or worse, what if he decided to say, you know, I've got all this anger and anxiety. I'm going to post something on Facebook. This is going to be very influential. I'm going to, I'm going to, and then just so I could, and then start responding to the comments as they came in. Or what if just to deal with his overwhelm, he decided to distract himself with TikTok or Candy Crush in the wee hours? Would there even have been a civil rights movement as we know it today? Guys, we're living in history. This is the brave new world, and the new normal is digital distraction. And as your pastor, I just have to ask you, is there room in your busy, noisy life to settle your soul and hear the voice of God in the silence, in the solitude? Because it's in the quiet place where clarity is born. 
It's in the Aramos where the Spirit speaks words of love and reassurance and direction for your life. It can change the trajectory of your whole life and those you love. Some of you are facing major decisions in 2020. Guys, more might hang in the balance than you even know. See, look, if you settle down and stick with it, if you, if you lean into the silence and embrace the discomfort, you'll notice something. What happens? Clarity. You're clear. You're calm. You're centered. The sediment of your soul has settled down. You can see the good, the bad, and the ugly, but you also feel the faith and the hope rising. And you bring all of this to Jesus and say, Lord, what do you have to say for me? I surrender all of this to you. And that's when you meditate on Scripture. Now, typically, I read a chapter in my Bible every day. By the way, if you're like looking for a place to start, you're doing the 21-day fast, try reading through the Gospel of John. It has 21 chapters, so you can read a chapter a day. It's like easy math, okay? And you read the chapter... And now you say, Lord, this is your text message to me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to underline some things. And then I'm going to meditate on it. Now, that word meditate, don't let it trip you up. Some of you are like, oh, this sounds very namaste, meditate. (laughs) Right? All you traditionalists are like, is this new age? (laughs) Right? No. This is way more Jesus than Buddha. This is Psalm 1. Blessed is he who what? meditates on God's law day and night. See, here's the difference. This is how you know. In Christian meditation, you don't just empty out your mind of the noise. You actually fill your mind with the truth of God's word. You you, you say, I'm listening for the voice of Jesus. Invade me. Remember that breath prayer we did last week? Right, where you, you imagine breathing in the Holy Spirit, breathing out your anxiety. When you meditate, you you read God's word and you concentrate, maybe two or three words, just a line, a verse, and say, Jesus, be my center. Holy Spirit, I breathe you in. You're my breath of life. I breathe in love. I breathe out my anger. I breathe in patience. And I breathe out my anxiety. I breathe in your joy. I breathe out my grief and pain. And you let the truth of God soak into and settle in the bones of your soul. Is that what your quiet time looks like? It's the opposite of digital distraction. It's literally quieting the waters of your mind so that you can dive into the deeper waters of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God touches your spirit. Now, this may be new for some of you. Again, some of you are like, I've done a quiet time. I've never heard of this. You may be skeptical. Just try it for three weeks. Every morning, just give this a try, okay? And if you don't like meditation... Try journaling. Last step and I'm out. Literally, get a moleskin or a notebook and use it during your quiet time. This is what I do all the time. I've got 17 of these journals. But just read a chapter out of the life of Jesus. Say, you know, what, what, what's jumping out at me? The questions that I have, I write them down. Maybe you sense God saying something to you. I don't even really know what that means. Jot down your thoughts, your impressions, prophetic words, promptings from the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you, like, journaling is my number one cure for distracted prayer, okay? Again, if you're like ADD, you're like me, you're like monkey swinging from the trees, Tim, that's me. Journaling quiets down your thoughts. Here's a confession. If you look through my journal, most mornings I actually write out my prayers. I pour out my heart to the Lord because there's something to me about the analog that is non-digital writing like a diary 
that focuses my thoughts, and my soul's trying to say something true to God. And so if you read it, you'll be like, Lord, I'm, I'm praising you. I'm so excited. What you did in the Christmas offering, that's incredible. But God, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about whatever. Or, or God, I, I need your help. This is, this is an area in my family. God, I just need your help. This, Lord, is where I need direction. This church, guys, this journal is where I pray for many of you. I have so many of your names in my journal. Like, I pray for your health needs, your dreams for a family or, or a job or relationships. I, I pray for God to cure cancer for some of you, for your kid who's going off the rails. I put them all down here. Let me just tell you, this old-fashioned discipline of writing out your prayers is cathartic for my soul. It's the way I ground myself in the hurricane of the digital world. So again, for 21 days, let me encourage you, quiet yourself down, allow the Lord to settle your soul and bring what's in there to the surface, the good, the badly ugly. And here's what you do, you surrender to God. God, I got all these angry thoughts. I've got all this. I need you to deal with this. And you know what he'll do? He quiets you down. He cleanses your heart. And he fills you with liquid strength and courage and clarity. He's making to you today the same invitation he made to his disciples in Mark 6. He's saying, come with me. Come on. By yourself to what? A quiet place and get some rest. Tomorrow morning, Monday. Like, I wonder what would be different in your life in 2020 if you started this year for 21 days and you stepped away and did a digital detox. But watch, you paired it every morning with the Aramos. Silence and solitude in the quiet place. What might God say to you? Just ask Jesus to speak into your life. Say, God, give me clarity. Give me, I need your direction. What might God say? I mean, in the quiet, he may say something to you like Dr. King. He'll actually clarify your calling. He'll say, you know what, Tim? Or you know what, John? You know what, Jim? This is what I want you to do about fill in the blank. This is, this is what I want you to do about the situation at work. This is what I want you to do about that argument you had with your in-laws. This is how I want you to handle and shepherd your teen who's vaping. You've got to correct them, but don't break their spirit. Here, Esti, is who I want you to forgive. I could never forgive them. I know. Come to the Aramos, and I'll give you the strength. You need direction this year? God has answers. He's waiting to speak with you. The question is, are you listening? Are you available? I hope you will. Amen? Let's put out our hands and bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you. This is an Aramos moment. Lord, I even feel it in this room. I'm sure it is at our campuses. We are quiet and we are still and we're listening. So speak, Lord. We commit this 21-day fast as a church right now to the name of Jesus. Less of us, more of you. More of your Holy Spirit in our marriage. More, Lord God, in our family. God, we want to surrender and just kick off and slough off all the bad habits of 2019. Father God, for me, that was a Martha year. <laughs> Running back and forth, cluttered, confused, chaotic. Lord, we are declaring 2020 the year of Mary. Sitting at your feet, Jesus, listening to what you have to say. 
So Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. Empower us in this fast. Let us get past our cravings and our distractions and encounter you. I ask for a spirit of revelation to be released for my brothers and sisters, that you would give them divine direction that they can't get in a book or listen to a podcast. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We have to hear from you or we're lost. So we give you this year and we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.